So my, my wife told me while I, was in, while I was in Israel, some of you wanted like a slideshow of, of pictures and event, like stuff going on there. That's not going to happen today. Um, it was an amazing trip. I just want to say that. If you've never been, I totally recommend it to you. It's way cheaper than I thought it was going to be. And it's not that far away, especially if you're here in Iceland. I mean, it's like eight hours flying. And that's, that's it. And so it was amazing being at the places where we've, you know, we've preached the text and then standing there at the pool of Bethesda with a lame man trying to get into the water and you're just looking at it right there or going to Bethlehem uh, and, and seeing the terrain and all of a sudden getting a completely different picture in your mind as to what the travel of, of Joseph and Mary looked like going to, uh, going to uh, Bethlehem. And so it's just a, an amazing place. Uh, if you want to talk about it, you're free to talk to me after, after the service. But I want us to jump into Daniel chapter 9. We're going to continue Daniel. Um, Daniel chapter 9. If you don't know the book of Daniel, it's, it's, a, it's a book with a lot of visions in them. Uh, it's written around the 6th century before Christ. And there is a prophecy there about uh, different things like the Medo-Persian Empire, the... the the role of Alexander the Great and what he does throughout his life. And it's a, but it's a mixture. It, it goes from one prophecy about what's going to happen uh, into just him praying for his country and why the, the Jew, Jewish nation is in exile and why they can't go home. And so that's where we find ourselves today in chapter 9. And we're going to read the first 19 verses and dwell on that for today. So it's going to be up on the screen if, you, if your digital Bible is running out of battery or something like that. Uh, here's Daniel 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books of the numbers of the years, which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, for the completion of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord uh, God to seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all of the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. As it is this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away, in all the countries to which you had driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness. For we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants and the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus 
He has confirmed, confirmed his word, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O, o Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned. We have been wicked. O Lord, in accord accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary, O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city, which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take action for your own sake. O oh my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So if you've ever noticed this, when something bad happens in the news, uh, there's this cycle that goes on. And one of the things that kind of scares me about, uh, you know, hearing news from all over the world about horrific events happening, people doing horrific things, uh, is that people in general sort of grow callous to the realities of how horrifying it is. How horrifying it is that someone like Breivik goes on an island in Norway and shoots 70, was 72 people and what that looks like. And here in the news anchor who's supposed to jump from, you know, telling you about this massive attack that killed a lot of different people, young children even, and then going into a, a news story that revolves around a, a town in the UK doing the biggest cookie in the world or, or something like that. And just how like easy it is to transform from one place to another. But when an attack hits home, there's a, there's a lot of the news coverage that revolves around not just what happened, but why did this happen? What was the motivation of the person behind this? What was he thinking? What kind of state of mind was he in when this horror took place? And so Daniel here, he finds himself in Babylon. In Babylon. It's an enemy nation that's come in about 60 years before he's writing this completely destroy Jerusalem, completely destroy Israel, kill a lot of people, bring a lot of people back as slaves and make them their servants. They take their name, give them Babylonian names. They take their language, throw it out and make them speak their language. And so he's asking himself, he seeks, uh, seeks an answer from God and he's rummaging through the Bible. And what's interesting to me, he, he quotes Jeremiah, the prophet. And this, this guy, Jeremiah, he lives at the same time as Daniel. This is not just some guy who wrote this hundreds of years earlier. And he reads the word of God, another prophet who lived at the same time as Daniel, Jeremiah. 
And he finds there that the promise of God that this destruction wouldn't be the end all of Israel, but rather after a 70 year period, they would go back home. And their exile was supposed to be 70 years. And what does Daniel do? He, he doesn't just sort of play with his thumbs for 10 more years. He doesn't go and what's paint dry on a wall. He goes and he prays. Even though God has given the promise that it's only going to be 70 years, he goes and he prays and he puts on sackcloth and he, he prays a prayer of repentance, not just for him, but for all of Israel. Saying, God, for, for your name's sake, because of your compassion, would you deliver, this, deliver us from this, um, this situation we find ourselves in? And when bad things happen to people, uh, more often than not, we find people asking questions and usually blaming God for bad events that happen in our lives. And when good things happen, we sort of chalk it up to, of course, we're awesome. Why wouldn't good things happen to us, <laughs> right? But you read Daniel and his take on this. He's certainly seen very bad things happen. He has a very different perspective. He shares with us that this is due to the covenant or commitment that the people of God had made to God um, and they made to God during the times of Moses, referring to the promises that God said, if you will be my people, if you will follow my commands, then these blessings will be yours. If you do disobey these commands, these are the consequences of you going that direction. And you can find this, for instance, in Deuteronomy 27. And so what was the exile about? Some people say the exile was about, um, you know, you, everyone in here knows what Sabbath is. Sabbath, yeah, the, the off day, or in the West we call it an off day, but it's actually a day where you're supposed to keep it holy, dedicated to God. So it's not just sort of watch Netflix all day, right? It's a, it's a day to dedicate to God to keep holy and not work. Well, they didn't just have a Sabbath day, they had a Sabbath year as well. Every seventh year, they were supposed to not plow any field, not plant anything on the land. They were supposed to live off what they gathered from the last six years and give the, the land just complete rest for a year. And every 50th year, after every 49th year, they were supposed to do the same thing. And that was the year of Jubilee. That was where, um, like for instance, every Sabbath year, you were supposed to release every debt that anyone owed you. They, you couldn't hold their debt against them anymore. You're supposed to release them from their duties. Now, some people think it's because of this, because they never did this. They never held the Sabbath year. They never held the, the year of Jubilee, that now God has brought judgment. But if you really look at what they're doing, you know, for instance, you read your Bibles and you, you hear about these people go into the high places to worship other gods, and you're like, okay, why are there high places and what does the worship of God look like? Well, in many, many uh, scenarios, it looks, looks horrific. Like when, when the people of Israel started worshiping Molech, they would build this, uh, this idol out of iron and they would put fire under it. And when the iron was glowing hot, they would put their children on the idol to sacrifice them by burning them to death. And so to me, when I think, why did this exile happen? Why is this judgment of God happening over Israel? I think that is the answer to our question. He's, he's coming, he's seeing what the Israelites are doing. What God has done for that nation to get them where they are. And he's saying, I'm going to bring my wrath on you for what you're doing against uh, my name. Now, I think 
this kind of gets to the question as to why God allows evil to take place. Why does he allow evil to take place? Why, why did he allow this exile to take place? Just like the Israelites, when they turned away from God, uh, death and destruction happened. So, so it is with all, all of us, all of mankind. When we turn away from God, we, ha- we, we hope for pleasures and joy, but in the end, it may only be a really well-decorated path that leads us to destruction and hell. And to me, I find it very interesting. When we take a warm shower and we know our apartment is cold. It's not a shock or a surprise to us when we exit that shower to find out that cold takes over, right? We, we expect it when we walk out of the shower. We're you know, trying to clean up really fast so that we could put our clothes on because we expect the cold to come when we leave the source of heat. Or when we're about to go to sleep at night and we turn off our lamp. When it's nighttime and it's dark outside, then we expect that when we flip off that switch, when we cut off the source of light, darkness automatically takes over. But for all of humanity, we seem shocked and surprised that evil flourishes and destruction runs rampant when we turn our backs from the creator and sustainer of life. And why do evil things happen? Like, why do bad things happen? Like, why? Daniel seems like a godly guy, right? Why is evil happening to him? Why is he a slave in Babylon? He's seeking God. He's he's repenting. Well, I think the the odd answer to that question may be because God is merciful. Because a lot of us, when we see evil, it's out there somewhere. It's that individual there doing that, saying that, you know. But we don't realize that evil... It lives within every one of us. If you, if you give enough attention to your thoughts, if you give enough attention to, you, to your heart, you'll realize that you're not as good as you think you are. You may be able to find another person that you compare yourself to and you can maybe feel pretty good about yourself. You're not as bad as that person. But what we find ourselves doing is that we're comparing our lights to a light bulb instead of the sun. And instead of comparing ourselves to the perfect one, God, and realizing that we have all fallen, that we all need mercy, that we all need grace, even Daniel here may seem like a godly man. He's not perfect. He has definitely done wrong. And so his repentance is not just for those out there, but for all of Israel, all of God's people, saying we repent and we rely fully on your compassion uh, and your grace. So if you ask yourself this question, why doesn't God stop evil? It may actually be the surprising answer because of his mercy and grace. Because we're a part of that problem. As a rapper put it, and I never thought I would say this, but as a rapper put it, I love, especially rap that revolves around something, you know, not just like cars with bling, or is that how you say it? Um, now, this, these are Christian rappers r- rapping about like Christian truth. And one of, the, one of the sentences he said, he said, uh, if God would eradicate evil, the whole earth would be vacant. That evil, if you pray, God, would you stop evil in this world? We have to realize that we're a part of that problem. Like that's, that equation, we're in there. And if he would answer our prayers, there would be nothing left on earth. 
And so the odd question to this big question that, uh, the odd answer to this big question that a lot of people ask themselves may actually be because God is merciful. Because he is allowing more people to turn to him, to repent, just as Daniel is doing. Now you read your history and it will tell you that the exile of the Jews, it started in 598 and it ended in 538. Now if you're good at math, like I pulled out a calculator for this one. Uh, I told my teacher I'd never have to use math in my life, so I'm trying to, trying to do my best here. But that's a problem, right? If you do the calculations, that's 60 years. And you read Daniel, what is he saying? He's saying, Jeremiah, who spoke for God, said the exile of the Jews is supposed to be 70 years, right? So you read commentaries of people smarter than yourself, like, how does this all fit together? And, you know, there are theories out there like, well, God answered Daniel's prayer. Uh, so they got 10 years off, you know, for good behavior, I guess, or, or something like that. Uh, but I think when you take into account, I'm not going to go into solar calendars and lunar calendars and all that. Uh, I did that a little bit before. Uh, when you take into account the weird calendar that the Jews had and also that Daniel was taken into exile, not 598, but 605 B.C., and you realize that. That's 70 years according to the Jewish calendar. But here's what we see in verse 5, that Israel had turned away from God's word to them. And remember, this is God's nation, God's people, and yet they do not obey the commands of God. Does this remind you of anything today? <laughs> anything? Uh, what does this show us? I think that many people, they claim to be Christians, for instance, without really knowing what Christianity is. Um, many people claim to serve God without really following his commands. Many people claim the title of I am a child of God without really following their father. There are many things that churches have done throughout the centuries, that Christians have done throughout the centuries that are horrific things and are in no way in line with scripture. And that's, that's not a new thing. Hypocrisy is not a 21st century problem. Like This has been a problem all of human history. Hypocrisy. You put on a mask, you pretend to be one thing. There are many people who have taken the name of God in vain. Have you ever thought about that? What, what does it mean to take the name of God in, in vain? Is it just to, you know, say OMG? Is that taking the Lord God in vain? Well, you may, you may make a case for it. But I think the more serious part is attaching the name of God to your own vain pursuits. That What you really want to do, you're using God an excuse to do it, right? I want to attack this nation. I want to kill these people. And what, what better way to do it except to say, hey, God told me to do all this. And so what they've done, Israelites, they've claimed to be God's people. Just like many churches do today. Claim to be God's people but are unconcerned with what God really wants us to do. But what does Jesus say? He says, if you love me, you follow my commands. Now, when we look for brothers and sisters in the faith, when, we're, you know, when we find ourselves in another country, like we have visitors from Vermont and Michigan, right? Michigan? Massachusetts. Massachusetts. M, yeah, it's close enough. Um, when we look for brothers and sisters, we're not just looking for someone who says, yeah, I'm a Christian. Because even that term, like, what does it even mean? <laughs> you know? 
Uh, but what we're really looking for is like, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you, are you obeying him? Is he, is he just Lord as a title to you? Or is he truly your Lord that you're obeying him? Uh, like there's a bumper sticker in the U.S. I used to live there and I see it all the time. Jesus is my co-pilot. And that's not truth. <laughs> no, he's, he's the driver. I'm just in for the right. That's supposed to be the idea that we get from Christianity, that we're obeying him. He is the one telling us where to go. But from here, uh, from there, Daniel goes on to this sort of most anti-self-confidence prayer ever. Verse 7, he says, Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us, open shame. How do you view God? How do you view yourself? Many churches probably never say these words because they're too uh, harsh. You know, <laughs> this is not nice. <laughs> like, I don't feel good about myself. I want to feel the butterflies in my stomach as I leave the church, right? Like this is not exactly a prayer you hear very often. You hear churches that want to focus on the positive things like the love of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God and the, and the grace of God. But here's one of the things that I realized, like those things... They're really good, but they become way better when you realize how much you need these things. When you realize how much I need the forgiveness of God, how much I need the grace of God, uh, that's when these things become way greater in my mind and in my heart. That's when it actually transforms the way I interact with other people because I fully realize like, how messed up I am as a person and how much I need the compassion of God. And then someone else you know, says the wrong thing or forgets to... Uh, put on the turning signal or whatever, you know, and I'm like, I'm reminded that this is a turning signal, right? God has done greater things for me. I should be able to forgive this person for, for not being clear enough to where they were turning, right? That's when you realize just how fully we need the compassion of God, that's when the love of God becomes even greater, so I don't think we're doing us any service as the church of God by, by not focusing on our problems and only focusing on the love of God because, you know, like if you view yourself as a pretty great person, does it take much love to love you? <laughs> if you have pretty high view of yourself, does it take much love from me to love the perfect individual? If someone always says the right thing and does the right thing and and just always super considerate. I don't have to be a very loving person to tolerate them, right? I don't have to be very loving to love them. Because they, they're pretty much tailor-made for me, right? But here's what you, when you need a loving person. Here's when you need forgiveness and grace. is when you're not. When you're not perfect. And I think we do, us, do ourselves a disservice by only focusing on the positives and not allowing our past and our failures, our mistakes to, to get us more in awe of the love of God. Especially when we consider both his holiness and his love. How completely different he is from us. During the presidential run in the U.S., I, I, I hate to be this guy because you hear Trump everywhere. But I, I, I just thought of this sentence. Uh, when, when I was thinking about this, there was this moment, because um, President Trump, he, he's like, I'm a Presbyterian. That's what he says, I'm a, I'm a Presbyterian. Um, now, there's all sorts of factions within the Presbyterian church. He's PCUSA, I think. 
or, or so he says, and an anchor, a news anchor, asked him, is repentance and asking for forgiveness a big part of your faith life? <laughs> and I just thought his answer was so completely in line with Western culture today. He said this. <laughs> I'm not going to try to be a, a Trump impersonation here. Um, why do I need to repent or ask for forgiveness if I'm not making mistakes? <laughs> I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, man, you've missed the point totally, right? When you, when you look at, you know, now I, I don't know what kind of mistakes Trump has in mind here, but he probably doesn't share Daniel's view of, of human heart. Right? <laughs> he de probably doesn't share Daniel's view of our complete reliance and need of God's compassion and grace. Um, he probably doesn't share Daniel's view of sin. And even today, like people throw that word out there, sin. What, what does sin mean? Uh, many people don't even know what it means. Many people hate that word, but don't know what the Bible means by that word. Like in verse 8, Daniel says, we have sinned against you. What, what does Daniel have in mind? What is sin? If you go into that Hebrew word that he's using there, uh, it's to miss a mark. To, to do wrong, to offend, to be culpable. That's, that's the definition of sin. That, that miss the mark point describes it perfectly, I think. Because God has made us for certain things, and when we miss the mark of what he made us for, that's sin. And that's just one category for all these different offenses. That's me getting mad at the guy who didn't turn the uh, turn signal on, and the guy murdering downtown. That's the same word for both of those actions. Sin. Sinning is missing mark of God's will for our lives. And anytime you do not live a perfect life, that's a sin. And so that's why we read in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I think that's probably not one of Donald Trump's memory verses right there. But apparently, but here's the thing. Daniel, Daniel shows us something that sets Christianity apart from other religions in this passage that we just read. He turns to God realizing that it's not just that he needs a moral transformation. His prayer is not just make me a better person. I want to feel better about myself. I want to, I want to do better. He doesn't just need to be a better person. He needs for forgiveness. He needs forgiveness from God. He needs mercy. He needs grace. And here's the, here's the thing that I've seen with, with some people, and I've done this myself. I was sharing Christianity or sharing the faith before I was a Christian. So, I was, you know, like I didn't understand the gospel. <laughs> Try to explain a message you don't understand to someone else. And you find yourself doing some very interesting thing. But many people do this. They go out and they find someone who's not a Christian. And they're trying to transform their morality. Like, don't, don't say that word. Don't curse, you know. Uh, don't do this. Don't do that. How do, how do we share our faith? When we share our faith, is it mainly sort of moral transformation that we're worried about in the people's lives? Is it moral transformation or is it their need for mercy and grace found at the feet of Jesus? That should be our first objective. Like if you want to share your faith with someone, share with them how messed up you are. And share with them how not only you, but everyone needs to rely on the compassion, mercy, and grace 
of God? Are you concerned with changing the way they dress more than sharing with them the guy who defeated death? Right? Moral transformation, it will happen. I I can give you a testimony of what God has done in my own life, but it's not the foundation or the root of my faith. The transformation that's happened is the work of God within me after I came to faith. It's the fruit of our faith. Now here Daniel, he starts to voice that his only hope is not moral transformation of Israel, but rather the grace of the one and true living God. Look look at these verses, like verse 9. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness. Right? Thank God for that. Verse 16, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. In verse 17, for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. You get what he's trying to say there? For your sake? He's saying the opposite of because of how great we are. (laughs) Because of how awesome we are, turn your wrath away from us. He's saying, no, not because of us, just Because you are good, you are merciful, you are compassionate. Answer our prayers. Verse 18, for we are not presenting our supplication before you on account of any merit of our own, but on account of your great compassion. And here's here's why you can have boldness. Here's why you can have hope. As you, as you lay and you may, like, we may die in various circumstances, maybe some of us will be laying on a hospital bed, staring at a ceiling with fluorescent lights, just knowing that each breath could be our last, each beat of our hearts could be our last. Here's why you can have hope before God. Not because of our own merit, but because of your compassion. Right? You don't stand before God and find hope in all the good works that you've done because you've done a lot of messed up things too. Right? If you want to, to allow God to judge you by your works, then you present all of them. You don't hide away your bad ones and present the good ones. But if you want to have hope, this is our prayer with Daniel in verse 18. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any marriage of our own, but because of your great compassion do you want to marvel over the compassion of God just dive deeply into your thoughts what you've thought about what you've done where your heart is at how short your fuse is with the people around you that's one of the things that's surprising about married life it's like your your spouse gets to, to see the worst part of you the person you love and you know most they get to see the worst of you because they know you the best. They're with you in every moment, not just when you have your you know, face put together. Then when, when you've examined the hidden aspects of your heart and the shameful thoughts of your mind, you, you will see just how much we all need the compassion of God. Right, this message, I have a hard time what kind of gymnastics we have to do with this ma- message to allow it to, uh, to sort of birth in us uh, what is it? Froki. What is froki? Arrogance. Like, how can we be arrogant when we have this message? How can we see, you know, walk with her, like, sort of looking down on others when we see this message? 
when this message revolves around purely, not about what we can do to earn our way to heaven, but what God has done to show grace to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. How can I walk around arrogantly after saying, this is my hope for life. This is my reason to love. This is my reason to forgive. How can we allow this to grow in us arrogance? Because yes, we, we can. I'm, I'm sure we can find someone in this country that's worse than you, right? And you can compare yourself to that individual to feel better about yourself. But when we do that, we're comparing ourselves to the wrong thing. And if you need to compare yourself, if, you, if you're, like for instance, if you're thinking about your walk with God and where you are, don't find another individual around you. Like don't, don't pick someone who's been walking with God for 40 years and is, uh, you know, defeated every sin seemingly, you know, <laughs> it's like, it's, just look at yourself. Like, where was I a year ago and where am I today? Like, if you want to, if you want to see the work of God in you, don't compare yourself to other people. See, like, when you started to believe this message and since then what God has done in you to transform you. If you want to, uh, yeah, that's the point. Let this awaken humility in us and gratitude and hope that we are, we're not only seeking a compassionate God, but we have a compassionate God in Jesus Christ. The guy who defeated death. That's, Jerusalem is a confusing place. <laughs> so many different cultures there. I was trying to find the grave of Jesus and like each one had their own. Like the Greek Orthodox had their grave of Jesus and the Ethiopian Orthodox had theirs and the Armenian Christian had theirs and the Protestant Christians had theirs. Like, <laughs> which one is this? Uh, and you have some messed up things going on. People worshiping walls and kissing the streets. And, you know, it's just kind of sad. But here's the thing I was thinking about. Like, how odd it is that I'm here looking for an empty grave. When most other religions in the world have pilgrimages to a sealed and occupied grave, I'm just trying to find which one of these empty graves is the right one. Which one is the borrowed one, you know, for three days? And it was awesome. The perfect one who died a sinner's death so that sinners could be made perfect by his work. That's our hope. Not because we're so great, because we earn our righteousness, but rather he has paid our debt. And I love how Paul talks about it in so many of his letters. Those of us who are in Christ. You know, you kind of like, you walk out in the winter and you put on your coat and that's the image, like, that's the shelter we have in Christ. He's the one who covers us. And in verse 13, this kind of stuck out to me. Just kind of stuck, stuck out to me and kind of stung, stung me. He says, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and giving attention to your truth. Is calamity happening in your life? Is, is chaos happening? How about we let hardships drive us into the shelter that will keep us safe? And if calamity is not happening to you right now, just look at your life in general. Calamity will strike. And one of the things, <laughs> a long time ago, when MySpace was a thing, um, I was 
I was not a Christian. I didn't, I didn't have hope in life. And I remember in Gladiator, you know, you remember the Roman Empire, Emperor and Gladiator. Hilter is loving this. He loves when I quote movies. And, um, no, but uh, in Gladiator, this Roman Emperor, and this is a real quote from a Roman Emperor, and this was like my model in life. Because I had no hope. I was so dark. I was like, I was trying to figure out why, why the world is so messed up. And, and he said the sentence, he said, death smiles at us all. And all a mere man can do is smile back. And that was my motto in life. Like I was like a 13-year-old, not goth. You know, I wasn't gothic back then, but yeah, it should have been. I was black on the inside. My heart was completely goth-like. Um, but I was... That was my quote in life. Like, like I don't have an answer. That's, that's what I think. Death smiles at us all, and all I can do is smile back. But I, I'm thankful for this, because I, I always had this feeling. I just turned 30 a few days ago. I always had this feeling I would die before I was 30. Um, and that kind of drove me to want to find out, like, what is life about? I was always aware of death and feeling like I was going to die before 30, um, so I really wanted to find answers. I didn't want to just live just because, because I wanted to find out, is there a point to all of this? Calamity in life is it's not just a possibility. It's a guarantee in a messed up world. Something is going to happen. A hardship is going to come. And often the last thing that people do is pray towards God. But my hope for you and me and all of us in here is that we skip the process of trying everything else before we turn to God. And just with Daniel, turn to God and right now have that anchor in peace in every chaotic circumstance that may come and go that we would have something that holds us fast. And we're a church and the church is not a museum for the well-off. It's a hospital for the sick. Until we get home, it is going to be a hospital for the sick. None of us are going to be perfect, but we're going to look to Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're going to follow Christ. We in here, we have realized our shortcomings. We have all taken a look at our mistakes and we're missing the mark and realized that we need a Savior. So if you're in here and maybe, maybe you identify with the Israelites. Maybe you're like, man, I've, yeah, I've said I was a Christian for a long time, but never really gave any concerned with what God wanted me to do, what God's commandments were. If you're here and you're messed up too, you're welcome to be a part of our family, this messed up family of people that's just fully reliant on the grace and forgiveness of God. Be a part of a family that makes mistakes, but help each other grow and turn to Christ and together seek to glorify Christ. And here's one thing I'm so thankful for. Because I, I am so messed up. And I was so messed up. I was almost about to say I was so messed up. But I still, I still am so messed up in, in many ways. Like, I'm so thankful for the perfect Holy One, creator and sustainer of life, taking me as I was. The messed up person that I was and saying, you're my child. And then... More than that, the love he had for me to not allow me to stay that way, but to start a work in me, transforming my thoughts and my heart and giving me hope. And you know, oddly enough, 
our calamities, the hardships that we face in life, they may be the, the most important things you walk through because they reorient you and remind you that you need an eternal hope. That in our darkest nights, God can use that in our lives for us to finally search for the light. And as God would answer the prayers of Daniel, and he hears his prayers, and he returns the, the Jews to Israel, and they get their nation back, and they build the temple and Nehemiah and all that, um, he can do that in your life still today. Just as God managed to turn a Roman cross, a symbol of death and misery and torture and humiliation and defeat into a symbol for all of us today that means something completely different. It means hope. It means life. It means forgiveness. He can do that in all of our lives. In all of the chaotic circumstances or calamities that we face, he can still do that. When a diagnosis of a disease comes, people start running to all sorts of things, right? You, you know, when, when Mikhail got cancer, there's a bunch of people sending me blog articles about cannabis oils and, you know, all this type of stuff. And like, you know, doctors, you, you start meeting with doctors and specialists and you work out for the first time because, you know, workouts are supposed to do something and you're pretty sure about that. Eating programs. Many will exhaust all available options before turning to God in prayer. And how about we just skip all that process? Just skip all that. Now, I'm not saying all those things are bad. I'm saying do those things, but turn to God. Just don't wait for him to be the last resort. Let's follow Daniel's example and just turn to God with our problems, with our anxieties. Jesus, because we all have the worst disease of all in here. Like we have sin. Sin is the cause, the underlying cause of everything that we see messed up in this world. And like, you know, a cancerous cell, it, it spreads, it kills, it destroys from the inside out. And we have the antidote in Jesus Christ, our physician. So like, my question is like, why would not everyone run into the arms of Christ? Like, that's my question. Why doesn't everyone do this because we refuse to hear the diagnosis or if we hear the diagnosis of our condition we refuse to see how serious it is now when people are diagnosed with a serious disease many will sacrifice everything to fight that thing you see people who work their entire lives to get that home to get that savings and you know, when a, a disease hits and medical expenses go through the roof, you're willing to throw it all on the line. Throw the house in there, throw the savings in there, because you feel like the antidote to this disease is worth it. If I only get 10 more years, it's going to be worth it, because so I'll throw it all in there. God in his word says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was walking in a field and he saw a treasure there. Right? And he goes, and he hides it back up, you know, so no one, no one can see it. And he goes, you know, I imagine him skipping and being joyful and smiling. And he sells everything that he has, everything that he's worked for. He sells it all with a smile on his face. And he uses that money to buy that field so that he can own that treasure. And Jesus, in one of his parables, said that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. 
a man finding that treasure in the field and realizing that's worth more than everything and anything in this life. And so you go with joy and sacrifice to earn that. Now, am I saying that following Jesus Christ costs nothing? No, it, it costs plenty of things. But like that parable shows so you know, perfectly, it's worth it. It's worth it because of the treasure we get in Jesus Christ. And so just like today, we're reading this prayer of Daniel for his people. My prayer is that we all get this repentant heart, that it allows us to grow in humility, that it allows us to be in awe and marvel over the fact of how gracious and merciful and compassionate our God is, Because if you need a reason to love, look no further than the word of God because he has described his love for us. And maybe you're in here and you find yourselves identifying with the Israelites that you say you're a Christian, but you're not follower of Christ. And you need to just, again tonight, say, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to joyfully be willing to sell everything, get rid of everything to earn Christ. Or maybe you've been here and you really never thought about your need for a Savior and you just, now you started to think about it. And I pray that today might be the day when you realize this is where life is. Jesus says, you know, in me is life to the fullest. I always thought it was weird as a non-Christian because it felt like a very limited life. Like it felt like there's all these rules, I wasn't supposed to do this and that and blah. And so I was like, life to the fullest is not exactly the, the idea that I walk away with when I read all the rules of God. It feels like a very restricted life. But then I found out, someone told me one time, that the rules of God, the commands of God for our life is like the pilot telling you not to exit, uh, <laughs> exit the airplane while we're in the air. Because he fully realizes that we're 30,000 feet up in the air. And while you might enjoy the view for a moment... In the end, you will uh, turn into a, a squash. Is that a, a squash thing? Uh, and in the end, that's not where joy is found. Right? So, so you may sit in that airplane saying, man, how narrow-minded is this pilot not allowing me to leave and exit if I want to? But in the end, you may say, well, he's ultimately concerned with my joy. And that's exactly where I found out after I became a Christian, that this is where life is the fullest by giving yourself under the creator who knows better, surprisingly, than me, what he created me for and where my joy lies. So I hope for all of us in here today, we go out into our week reminding ourselves how awesome, compassionate, and gracious our God is and allow that to transform the way we interact with other people. The way you interact with the people you don't like. That's what what the apostles say over and over again. Well, you're going to Pat yourself on the back for being loving to the people who love you back. No, everyone can do that. No, love those who you don't like. Love those who don't like you. And to do that, you need a reason for that love. And we have that reason in Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we do every week is we celebrate the Lord's Supper. If you're a Christian in here, meaning you've you've, uh, confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, right? That he is your hope when you stand before God on that last day. And he is not your co-pilot, like we said. He's your driver. And you've completely submitted your life to follow in wherever he goes. That's what it means to be a Christian. There's no secret formula. 
or rituals. Or, like That's what it is. If you've made those confessions, if that's a reality in your life, then you're a part of our family. And so what we do is what Jesus did with his disciples before his death. He drank wine. He said, this is my blood that's shed for you. And he broke bread and said, this is my body that's broken for you. And so this is what we do in remembrance of what Christ has done, but also the promise that he gave to his disciples, which is, I will not taste the fruit of the vine until I'm with you again. So this is not only us looking backwards as to what God has done, but also looking forwards to with hope, no matter what chaotic circumstances we face, he's given us a promise that he tends to keep. He will not taste the fruit of the vine until he is with us again. And so let's pray. Let's sing a song. And so what we do is during this song that we play, uh, you're welcome to come up here and grab a cup and grab uh, a piece of bread. And then afterwards we'll pray and we'll celebrate together what God has done. If you're in here and you're not a Christian, don't feel awkward about just sitting this one out. Um, And please do sit this one out if you're not a Christian. So let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the repentance that we have, uh, that you've granted to us, that you've shown us our need for a Savior. And I pray, God, may we never cease to be amazed over your work, over your sacrificial giving to us. May we never cease to be amazed of you allowing us to be a part of your plan. May we look for open doors and opportunities to share the hope that we have and always be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have. God, would you give us wisdom Would you give us love for you, for others? And would you help us as we focus now on your son, be driven by this gospel, by this good news that in our bad news, you came and you saved us. Would you use this message to equip us for everything that we need, to help us be better in everything that we do, and to seek to grow in holiness and look more like you? Not because we need to earn our righteousness or earn our way into heaven, but rather because you have come to us. And how can we not live for the one who died for us? And so I pray that you be with us, that you give us strength, and that you use us as instruments in your hands for your purposes and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.